Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Repod It podcast presented by Rerouted. Rerouted is an online marketplace where people can buy and sell used outdoor gear. If you have gear to sell, please check out our app, the Rerouted app on the Apple App Store and the Google Play Store. If you're shopping for gear, check us out online, rerouted.co. That's R-E-R-O-U-T-E-D dot C-O. If you like this show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, on to the Repot It podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Repot It, the rerouted podcast. My name is Brian Schoening, your host, as always, and I'm here with Christine Reed for another featured author. Christine, how are you doing? Best day ever. Best day ever, as always, on the Repot It podcast. We are here with Nancy East, who wrote Chasing the Smokies Moon. And Nancy, how are you? Introduce, introduce yourself. Uh, you, you know, how, how's it going? Yeah, no, I'm great. It's kind of a uh, dreary, cold day here in Western North Carolina. It's late April, so this is not the norm for us, but it's always a beautiful day to me here, no matter what the weather. So, yeah, doing great. So Christine got me connected with you. Have you guys chatted before? We have. We have, yeah. Awesome. Not in person yet. We will soon enough, though, at trail days, right? I think that'll yeah. be when we finally meet in person. Isn't, isn't that how it goes over the last couple of years? You feel like you've created all of these relationships and then all of them are virtual and you realize that you kind of haven't, haven't, totally, haven't totally met met the person no matter how much you feel like you know them um let's get into talking about your story um how did you initially get into the outdoors this book is about an an incredible journey that you that you went on the uh, accomplishing the completion of the smokies 900 in uh, in record time uh but let's talk about just kind of how your, how your outdoor experience began. How'd you get interested and passionate about the outdoors? Yeah. I mean, I think honestly, I came out of the womb, just a natural explorer grew up just chasing, you know, salamanders and lizards in the backyard of, of the woods of my home. Um, I grew up in, in Georgia and in kind of an outskirts of Atlanta, a suburb of Atlanta. And uh, yeah, just always loved to be outdoors, but honestly never was a hiker until my early college years. We were truly the, the generation who was kicked out of the house in the morning and was told to come back in for dinner. So, I mean, we just lived outdoors, it felt like. So it was a natural progression for me when I was about 19, I guess, to go on my first hiking trip ever in the North Georgia mountains. I had never even been to them other than driving through on the way to other places. So I went with a friend from college and uh, C.S. Lewis, the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, you know, had the kids enter into that wardrobe into Narnia. That's how it felt to me. I felt like I was entering this alternate universe and I never wanted to leave. It was hard to go back to school that weekend. I was in, I was in school at Auburn at the time. And yeah, I just got up to the mountains as much as I could after that. And it was a passion born from that one day hike and I've not stopped since. Was that first hike on the Appalachian Trail? It was not. It was close okay. to it, but it was not. I, I obviously I don't even know which trail it was on. It was again. I was along for the ride, and I've wanted so much to go back and try to retrace where we were. I know it wasn't the AT though, because we did that as the next trip, 
And that was my first introduction really to the AT. I didn't know it existed either, even though I was born and raised in Georgia. It was really just a foreign concept to me. So the outdoors didn't immediately become a, a kind of career path for you, but it was something you were passionate about. How did you transition into doing uh, a lot of the search and rescue stuff? Yeah, that came much later, decades later. In fact, I feel like yeah, I'm 50 now. So I feel like I've had enough decades of experience in all these different venues and channels with the outdoors that um, sometimes it gets mixed up in my, in my mind, honestly, but search and rescue is newer on the scene. That was about five years ago. And I live here in Western North Carolina in the mountains. I've explored here for you know 25 years since I've lived here, but I never even thought of who goes out and helps people when they become lost or injured. And really there was not much of a team. It was really the fire departments and the police departments that did it until about five years ago. But there was kind of a ragtag team of outdoor adventurers who all worked in emergency services who said, we'll go out and do the wilderness rescues for you guys just as volunteers. And there was a search for a missing hiker, a female solo hiker. She had fallen down a steep hillside when she leaned up against a tree on the side of the trail that was dead and it gave way and took her with it. And so it was all over the media because she was missing for three days. Everybody thought she had been abducted, that there was foul play. She was found, thankfully, she was alive, just injured pretty badly. But it opened my eyes during that search, seeing all this on the news, that we did have the search and rescue team. They were in their infant stages, but I thought, my gosh, this is something that I now have time to channel some energy into and give back to the trail community, other than just writing a check to nonprofits and that sort of thing. So I called our rescue squad and said, you know, I've got all this experience. I'd love to know how to channel it into this. And it, there was a long process from there. It wasn't just as easy as signing up, but uh, me and about 30 other people had that same idea. There were about 30 other people in this community who said, this is a way that I can give back. So this woman becoming injured was obviously a terrible, unfortunate event, even though it had a happy ending, but it led to really the growth of our team in a much more sustainable way when we all joined it. Some of us came and went, but there are about 15 of us that have stayed on those five years. So now we're a thriving, you know, very strong team. Well, and the impact of that story, I'm sure saving hundreds of lives down the road. Like you said, 30, 30 people signed up from, you know, hearing about that one story. It's going to have a lot of a lot of positive impact. Uh, did did any of your kids uh, kind of get your passion for the outdoors? Do you guys go on family camping trips and stuff? That was always my that was my introduction to the outdoors was, you know, let's let's all all the aunts and uncles load up, you know, 15 kids and and we'll just go out for, you know, 20 miles over four days or something as as slow as we possibly can. And and did uh, did you get to do any family hikes with uh, with your family? Yeah, no, it, it gives me hope that, that you actually got your start there because that's where my kids are going to say they got their start, but they're all teenagers now. So they don't like anything <laughs> except, you know, their screens and FaceTiming or whatever they do, Snapchatting and all that stuff. So they do all love the outdoors in different ways. It's just not necessarily hiking and backpacking as much anymore. But yeah, my son is now 18 and heading off to college soon. And he's starting to go on his own camping trips, his own backpacking type of thing. But it's usually more car camping. But you know, I think it's a start. It's at least something he likes to be outdoors. And it may not look like what I enjoy doing, but at least it kind of planted that seed and he's got some smarts about him too. He knows what to do and, and how to do it and not die out there hopefully and, and make poor choices. 
you're right that teenagers aren't interested in anything. When I was 13, 14, 15, uh, you know, it was, uh, they was dragging me along for sure. And it wasn't something I was excited about, but I, I look back on those, uh, those trips as being really special. And, and I'm sure that they will too, uh, down the road. Do you think that while you were attempting your fastest known time record and they, I know they came out a little bit to see you while you were working, but for, I'm sure teenagers, their experience of it was like, oh, mom's not home. She's gone. Do you think they understood like the gravity of what you were attempting to do? And do you think they understand now? Yeah. About it? I think they do. They, I think only one of them has actually read the book so far and I'm trying not to push it because they lived it with me. And so I think they just think I already know the story. Why do I need to read it? So yeah, they were definitely engaged in the whole thing more so than I thought that they would be. I thought that it was during the pandemic, you know, everything was just weird. They were at school virtually during that whole period. And my husband, you know, was working his full-time job and, and holding down the fort. But yeah, they were all really vested in me succeeding, which was really interesting because I didn't know what they would think if they would think, you know, I wish she wouldn't finish so she'll come home earlier because I miss her or whatever. But I got a lot of encouraging texts and phone calls and FaceTime messages, just all kinds of fun stuff along the way. So yeah, it was really that that fueled me some days when nothing else would was thinking of how much I wanted to succeed just to kind of make it worth my while being gone that long. Um, you know, for many reasons, I wanted to succeed, but I wanted to make them look back on this and say it was totally worth her being gone for a month because look what she did. I remember awesome. one of the one of the first times that you talked about seeing them while you were while you were doing this, you were wondering if they were like, you know, on vacation because mom's not there to to kick them off their <laughs> phones and and all of that. And, and you realized kind of that support system that you had. You talked about it being during the pandemic. You guys actually had to reschedule a bit, push it, delay a bit, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, no, you remember correctly. Yeah, we were set to start it in the spring of 2020. And then, yeah, the pandemic hit, the park completely shut down. So we couldn't even train anymore. And uh, everything, it seems like shut down around here, the trail networks. And so, yeah, it actually worked to our favor, though, because I think that I probably personally needed a bit more time to train and to work on my mileage to, you know, sustaining that type of mileage for that many days on end is, uh, the risk of overuse injuries just increases with every day. And so I think it really helped me and was one of those blessings in disguise ultimately. Um, Cause yeah, I felt ready in the spring, but I definitely felt a little more prepared by the fall. Speaking of the overuse injuries, I felt like I was getting over, I was going to get an overuse injury reading about all of the mileage. I was telling you before we started recording here, I flipped to the first page and it said day one, 39.4 miles. And I was like, okay, cool. That's a week long camping trip uh, for, for me. Um, but talk to us a little bit about that training process and, you know, going from uh, a family hike with the kids to 39 and a half miles in a day. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely an evolution. I have never been athletic a day in my life, just in the traditional sense. I'd never played sports in high school. Um, I, I really hated just that kind of activity. I just like to play, you know, and so that was just all I had was playing in the woods, riding motorcycles growing up, that type of thing, and dirt bikes, you know, in the woods. It wasn't anything related to hiking or endurance. And even in my young adulthood, I had never hiked over 15 miles. If somebody said, you need to hike 15 miles in a day, I would have just said, forget it. There's not any way I can do that. 
But I think as I got older, I realized we're all capable of more than we think we are. And I was proving that to myself in different ways, not just athletically, just with parenting and uh, the death of my mother, all these things that I had to kind of go through and prove to myself that you're, you're, we're all stronger, I think, than we give ourselves credit for. So I started doing longer day hikes after my mom's death in 2010, just to, it was the best place I could go to process just my grief. And sometimes I would stay out there much longer than expected and wind up covering 20 or so miles and thought, wow, that wasn't as hard as I thought it would be. And so just took it up a tick from there. But I still hadn't hiked over 30 miles when we started to train for the FKT. Um, it was definitely a big jump up, even from what I knew, uh, thinking that I was capable of. So it really just amounts to putting feet on the ground for a long sustained period over and over and over. That was the best training for me. A lot of people will go into very specific regimens with weight training and more than just hiking, but the mainstay of my therapy and all, or not therapy, my training my, had to be going out in the woods and just putting miles under my feet. Um, and then I did have a couple of injuries, just overuse injuries along the way. And that is where some physical therapy and that type of thing came in. But I think that that's just as much of a modality of training as it is doing the exercises, is taking care of those little things that just don't feel quite right before they become a big problem. And so I was real careful to do that, almost obsessively careful with anything that started to feel a little bit off in my joints. Yeah, I love that idea that we're capable more of more than we think that we are. And there's always like opportunities to see that in our lives. Do you think that you were carrying your mom in some way on the trail with you as like a reminder and part of your growing into that? when you were oh, yeah. having like challenges on the trail? <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I really, and, and not even so much because my mom died of cancer. So there was a process of, of, you know, her dying that was just agonizing and painful and brutal and all those things that people go through when they have just a stage four cancer diagnosis. But it was really just watching what she had gone through just throughout her life. She had been so resilient um, had led a good life. I mean, there was no trauma in her life in the sense of, you know, just abuse and that type of thing, but just, she had five kids. <laughs> so that in itself, you have to be kind of a, you know, just pretty resilient to raise five kids. And my dad was a pilot, so he wasn't home all the time. And we were, uh, we were really active kids, but we were, we were handfuls, <laughs> all of us growing up. And so, um, you know, I just thought as much as she went through as a mom and just, just, she became an Episcopal priest and worked with women prisoners in an Atlanta prison. Um, just saw a lot of tragedies, a lot of people who had been through some pretty hard stuff. And I, I honestly, I reflected back on those women as much as I did her, because she would tell us some stories about them that they were willing to share. Um, yeah. And so I, I tapped into that resiliency and, and just that strength of the women that she surrounded herself with in her everyday life. Talk to me about your partnership with Chris and how that came about. Yeah, so Chris has been a longtime friend, longer than the FKT training. He and I are just good hiking buddies, really. We've known each other, I don't know, five or so years, not forever, but long enough that when we met, we thought, gosh, we both like to do a little bit faster pace than other people. We like to go further than most people that we're hiking with because we've met in a hiking group. So we just kind of started tag teaming just the two of us because he was training to go hike the Pacific Crest Trail, needed to get some bigger miles under his feet. And I was just kind of tapping into, you know, how far can I go and, and not just completely burn out 
with a you know single day hike or a backpacking trip or whatever. So our interests just aligned and we got along well. Um, we're both married to other people. That's one thing that people always seem to get confused about. They think we're married and, and we're like, no, you know, there's just a lot of trust. We've both been married to our high school sweethearts for a very long time. And um, they would much rather us be out there in the woods with someone that is, you know, accountable if something happened. Uh, but yeah, so we started training for the FKT about, I'd say, a year and a half before we executed it. And it was kind of serendipitous how we both were on the same path of wanting to chase this particular FKT, but neither of us knew it. Uh, and I won't go into too much detail because it's a longer story than we have time for, but it was it was pretty neat how all the stars aligned and how we both were, because this is a fairly unique FKT to, to hike all the trails in the Smokies. Not many people do it, period. And very few people want to chase it as a speed record because it's so complicated with logistics. It's not just a linear path like the Appalachian Trail. You've got to connect all these trails and have all kinds of support lined up to shuttle you around the park. And it just, it's a big Gordian knot to unwind. So it was fairly unique that we both wanted to do it. And um, I was just flattered that he said yes when I said, hey, why don't we team up and do it together? I want to do it for a fundraiser and a cause. And I think we'll get more attention if we do it together because we both have our outreach and channels that we can, uh, you know, promote it to. He's not on social media, but he just has a lot of community contacts. He was in the Air Force and has a lot of outreach in that world. Can you talk a little bit about why you wanted to attempt the fastest known time and what the message is that you're trying to spread with your book and your story? Yeah, definitely. So I'd say the overarching reason that I wanted to chase it, well, I think it's twofold. If I'm going to say the noble cause, it would be because I wanted to raise funds for the park and for search and rescue efforts in the park, specifically for preventative search and rescue uh, we see so many people on my search and rescue team because we do help with with efforts in the park. Um, just make acts or uh, make mistakes out of ignorance. They just don't know what they don't know. And in one particular instance, it led, or in, in several instances, but one that really affected me emotionally was a 52-year-old mom who got lost on one of the most popular trails in the park. And she wound up dying that night from hypothermia, just exposure because a cold rain blew in and she wasn't prepared for it. It was just one of the most tragic searches I had been a part of. It went on for a week before she was found just because she had wandered so far off trail just in you know a confused state. And when it got dark and when she kept getting colder and colder, um, but so that was that was the main reason I thought I don't want anyone to ever die again like Susan Clements. I want the park to be able to implement this program that they need tens of thousands of dollars to implement properly. And nobody else was going to raise it. You know, it was going to be one of those things I knew that would just kind of keep sitting on the back burner of their budget. And so I took it upon myself to think, well, how can I raise it? And chasing a speed record thought, well, that's kind of flashy. People pay attention to this middle-aged mom who they think can't achieve this goal. And, you know, whether she succeeds or not, I just think people will pay attention to it and maybe they'll support the cause along the way. Uh, but the other reason that I wanted to do it was because I am a middle-aged mom who, you know, was starting to feel that that, that time, um, you know, just father time and time just keeps ticking. And I thought, if I'm going to do something big and really prove that I can do something as the stronger than average hiker that I think I might be, I got to do it now, or, you know, I'm going to get too old joints are just not going to, you know, be sustainable like they are at this age. And so 
um, Chris, my friend, is he was 52 at the time, so he was a little bit older, but um, he was kind of thinking that same thing, you know, we're just not getting any younger, we've got to do this while we still can. And so yeah, those those are the two main reasons. I think there's something noble about that too, right? Because we, we to be inspired to do something difficult to take on challenges, it really helps to see someone else that we feel like represents ourselves doing those things. And I don't know that there are a lot of women in their fifties going out and doing really crazy athletic endeavors. And I think for other women in their fifties, like that's a really awesome inspiration. Oh, well, thank you. You know, and it, I always like to say to people, cause I do a lot of coaching and workshops now and, and work with Jennifer Farr Davis's company over here in Asheville. And I always tell people, it doesn't have to be an FKT. It doesn't have to be 39, you know, 40 something miles a day that you're hiking. Just set some type of goal that feels achievable and believe in yourself at whatever age you're going out there to chase it. Um, I think sometimes as women, we, we really suffer from just kind of that self-doubt of not thinking that we're capable of doing just more than we can. So I know in the book, you talk a little bit about how Chris had hiked the PCT before and how you've thought about through hiking, but haven't made that your priority yet. And I just wonder if you feel like on the Smokies trails, you missed out maybe a little bit on the social experience of something like a through hike because you're moving so fast and you're hiking trails in all kinds of random order. So you're not running into people or the same people in able or in order to make those social connections. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that's a great question. Nobody's ever asked me that. Oh, wow. I might have to think about that one for a minute because in the moment, we just kind of had our eye on that goal and it's all we thought about was just, or, you know, really specifically, we would break it down into days and say, we just need to get to this end of this day. Then we get to reset and start again tomorrow. So, but that being said, there were hours upon hours of just quiet. You know, Chris and I wouldn't talk. I mean, you're with the same person for 29 days, almost 24 seven around the clock. You run out of things to talk about. Oddly, we would be able to talk for hours still, though, by the end, we just were chatty, chatty. But yeah, I think because I was with him, I think that that social aspect was probably there enough for me. I'm pretty introverted. And for me, I think if I'm able to do a long trail one day, and I hope that I am in a few years when I become an empty nester, that my personality will probably gravitate to hiking more alone. And if I do have, you know, a tramley, so to speak, it would probably be the type of situation where I would want to hike independent of them during the day and maybe meet up and have that social interaction at night more than I would um, just extrovert talking it up all day long, just because that's not my style in real life. So so yeah, I don't think that I feel like I missed out on anything just because I had one of my best friends in the whole world with me. And that was kind of what I think I would choose no matter, no matter what. And at the end of the day, Jamie, Chris's wife, was always there to meet us at the end or to be where we were that evening to cook for us. She was kind of our trail boss extraordinaire. She was amazing. And then my husband, Larry, would come on the nights that he could. And we had some other friends and community connections that would come and lend support, too. So so we did get a little bit at night, but we were just focused on getting enough sleep, too. So, you know, by the end of the day, I just wanted to crawl in bed as soon as I got cleaned up and ate. Yeah, I love it. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, instead of finding a trail family, you like brought your family to the trail. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. So, but that's a really, it'll be interesting though. I have thought about when I do a long trail one day, what the experience will be like in comparison, how I'll 
how I'll resonate with it um, or relate to it in relation to what we did on the FKT, because I know it will be vastly different. And Chris did have that comparison to say what it was like and what it wasn't like, but um, it'd be interesting. I'm gonna, we're going to go on a hike this week. I'm going to ask him that question because I think it would be interesting to get his perspective. I've never, I don't think I've ever asked him that. I really loved how you talked about breaking it down into days, but also in, in the book you wrote about very specific motivations. You were going to see your family and they were going to bring Chick-fil-A, uh, things, <laughs> things like that. I, I wanted to transition to when did you decide that you were going to write a book about this and, and kind of have you, had you written stuff in the past? Um, you know, what, what kind of motivated you to, to write this story down and, and put it on, put it on paper and publish it? Yeah, that, it kind of, it evolved. I will say at the beginning, I did think this is really an interesting story in the sense of just Chris and I kind of aligning forces to do this. Susan Clements, the hiker who died that led me to want to chase the FKT. I just thought it's got all the makings of, of a good adventurous story, but it also can teach people along the way. I did try to pepper in just some different search and rescue stories that we've experienced in the Smokies along the way and, and try not to do it in a preachy way, but just as examples, you know, when we would pass by certain trails and I would reflect on different uh, search and rescue operations that we'd had in those places before, that type of thing. But yeah, along the way, I knew I wanted to journal it at least for just myself and maybe my grandkids one day, that type of thing. And so I did take notes on my phone, just in the note app on my phone, and I would just write little bullet points of what happened or what we saw or how many bears we saw that day and thought, maybe I'll do something with this. Maybe I won't, but at a minimum, I'll at least be able to look at it and it'll jog my memory one day. You know, when I'm, one of my best friends says, you know, it's a story for the nursing home one day, <laughs> way down the road. But uh, I, I think I did think that I wanted to turn it into more than that, if it felt like a good story by the end. Do you think you would want to write another book in the future? Did you enjoy the, the writing process or was it more about documenting the trip? Yeah, man, that's a love-hate relationship, as Christine, I'm sure, can relate to. <laughs> it, it's such an agonizing process to write, um, you know, and to write well and to, to really convey your thoughts clearly. For me, is really a struggle, and I think with most people it is, even the best authors, but um, I think for some people it comes more naturally, and sometimes I feel like I just stare at my computer screen more than I write, trying to think of what I even want to say, but, but I do enjoy it. It is very cathartic for me. It helps me process uh, what I've gone through and whatever realm of life, whether it's an FKT or my mom dying, that type of thing. So, so yeah, I, I would like to write more. I don't know what that, and I do write more. Um, as far as a book, it's kind of like birthing a baby, I think, you know, it's like everybody says, I'll never do that again. And then you start thinking about, oh, maybe it wouldn't be so bad to have a, a little, you know, brother or sister for this child. And so yeah, there, there are some times where I think, you know, I'm not sure what I would write a book about, but it would be fun to do it again. But nothing on the immediate horizon, I'll say that. <laughs> okay, just a few more minutes here, Christine. Do you have any final questions or should we, should we get all of Nancy's social media information and where people can find the book? Yeah, let's do that. All right, so... Social media, I'm trying to think of my handles because I think it's just my name, Nancy, maybe P in the middle, P for Paige East. <laughs> I think that's my Instagram. I'm terrible with social media, but I'm on there. just not real regularly, but yeah. So that Facebook, 
Uh, those are the two main ones that I post things on. Um, and then I do have a website and that is just my name, nancyeast.com without the P. Uh, and that's usually the best place to reach out to me if somebody has questions, that type of thing versus social media. There's a contact me form and that goes to my email. It's also the best place to order my book just because you can get a signed copy. Um, I try to tether my book sales on my website almost exclusively now to constant fundraisers that I'm just constantly turning over depending on what group reaches out and says, yeah, we'll, we'll align forces with you if you'll donate $3 per sale of the book or whatnot. So right now I'm doing a fundraiser for a Smokies nonprofit, a different venture altogether. It's not for search and rescue. It's more for cleaning up the park because they're seeing so many increased crowds since the pandemic. And it's just become, you know, a burden on the park to, to do damage control with some of the messes people make. Um, so yeah, but you can certainly order it on Amazon, order it from a bookstore, any place like that too. But ordering it from my website is definitely the place that goes into, or it puts the most money in an author's pocket almost exclusively, but also it, in my case, it supports causes around the, the Smokies more or less. That's awesome. I also saw that you recently wrote an article, was it for Gossamer Gear about writing yeah. your story? Yeah, they just published that. Yeah, so I'm a Gossamer Gear ambassador. And so that one of the things that we do as ambassadors is just share our knowledge and experiences with the hiking community at large. And so they just kind of give us free reign to write what we'd like to write about. And that was actually, that wasn't even my idea. The blog editor came to me with that idea and said, I've read your book now, love it. I really think that people would love to hear what the publishing process was like from the self-publishing perspective. So that was the angle that I wrote it from because like Heather Anderson and Nish, she is another ambassador and obviously she's gone a more traditional publishing route. So she could give a different perspective on that. But for me, that was that was the lens that I could write through easily. And so, yeah, that just came out last night, I think. Cool. Nancy, thank you so much, Christine. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks to everyone for listening to the Repot It podcast. If you have gear to sell and you're taking up space in your garage check out our app the rerouted app on the apple app store or the google play store if you want to buy some some used some used gear and uh check us out online rerouted.co thanks everyone for listening hope you have a great day